Hello and welcome to this episode of the Venus and Vesta Evolutionary Astrology Podcast. This episode is a game of two halves. Uh, To use the football terminology, firstly, I want to talk about the fact that it's leap year and uh, how leap year even came about. Um, and what it means for our Gregorian calendar, which the church took a lot of trouble in trying to get to work with the tropical astrology calendar, which starts with the vernal equinox and the first day of Aries and Easter. It's all tied in together. So that's that's my little uh, geeky rabbit hole I went down for leap year. And then I went off on um, um, looking at people who are prominent in the uh, world right now, which firstly for me was Diana Nyad, who is the swimmer who swam from, at 64, swam swam from um, uh, Havana, Cuba to Florida. And what determined, what is in the chart that brings about that huge determination, which then I see in Putin's chart. And then I see things going on for Tucker and for Julian Assange. So um, yeah, those are my, um, my, my two separate subjects for this week. So yeah, in, enjoy. So we spoke a little bit in last week's episode about the fact that there's a lot of discussion going on right now between tropical and Vedic astrology and which is the most important or the better. And I always say every chart is relevant, but it's coming up right now because we have a leap year next Thursday is going to be the 29th of February. And of course, we only have a 29th of February every four years. And that's our leap year. So here we are in 2024 with our leap year. And so it does bring up this question of why is it there? Why can't we just, you know, carry on as normal? What what does it really matter that we've added in an extra day? What if we what happens when we don't add it in? And of course, the reason it's there are Christian region reasons, the reasons for the Christian calendar, they are there for the calendar of our seasons and of the actual year that we follow in the seasons, which is how tropical astrology follows, because we take it from the vernal equinox, which is, of course, also the first day of Aries that starts the year. So I want to go in all of that and explain that a little bit better and some of its history, which I find fascinating in the astrologically geeky way that we do. (laughs) Adding in uh, an extra day every four years pertains to the dating of Easter. And Easter has to be a correct day. um, And because Easter also pertains to this vernal equinox, the first day of spring and the first day of Aries. Um, Easter falls on the first full moon on or after the 21st of March, which is the vernal equinox. So so that's how they work out the Christian calendar from Easter. It all continues and flows from then. And that is an important day that's been celebrated and kind of discussed over centuries. Um, and that is why we've got the leap year. But that's putting it in too simplistic terms, because we uh, we once followed the Julian calendar, the Julian calendar was, of course, created by Julius Caesar. 
At that time, they understood that the year wasn't an exact 365 days. They understood it as 365.25 days. So a quarter of a day added was a year is a quarter of a day. So they decided back then, because the scholars, the priests, they noticed this drift from the actual year and from the seasons. They wanted to add in an extra day, i.e. the fourth quarters, to bring it round so that we had an extra day every four years. And they were discussing this back in 46 BC um, when Julius Caesar was emperor. And that great man then sent out an edict to the Western world, the Roman Empire, that we would start the Julian calendar on the 1st of January, 45 BC. And from there on, every fourth year, uh, and, and that would be a year divisible by four, we would add in an extra day to so that the year would remain in sync with the seasons. And that calendar, the Julian calendar, was was used right up until 1582, when Pope Gregory XIII then introduced the Gregorian, it's named after him, the Gregorian calendar. And that's the calendar we use today. And they had to go into quite a lot of um, detail to bring about this calendar. The Julian calendar, as I said, assumes a 365.25 year. But in fact, there's a a slight um, variation, but on the mean, it's 365.24.22 days or 365.2425 days. So it roughly kind of, it wobbles about a little bit, which is the the mean year. So let's take it as 0.2422. So running a little bit short from the 0.25 of, of the Julian calendar. But, but why would such a tiny discrepancy, 0.01 of a day, how would anyone even notice that? That actually equates to that 0.01. It equates to one day every 129 years or 3.1 days every 400 years. I mean, I think that's incredible that this, they've understood that, that, that uh, um, science from antiquity and the observation of the world and our planets was really acute to understand these things, to bring us this calendar that we have today. So from 46 BC, when the Julian calendar got created, um, the scholars and the priests and uh, decided that, you know, that they had to to create something that really helped them define when Easter was, because Easter was being celebrated by different sections of the Christian community on different days. And of course, we can't have that. And uh, so they the first council of Nicaea in the year AD 325. So now we're post-Christian birth in Anno Domini 325, they had the first council of Nicaea. And in this council, all the bishops, priests, and um, the clergy um, from each area across the Roman Empire came together to agree a few kind of core tenets of the Christian religion. And so they came together to agree they, they, the, the Nicaea Creed, which is still used in the church today. 
And this really depicts the details of God the Father, God the Son, the relationship that they had, we have, and what was divine nature and what the Christian church believed to be divine nature. And they wanted this to be uniform across the Christian world. So that was why they got together to to understand this and create the edicts that were going to go out to the Christian world. This is what we believe. This is the creed, actually. And then the other thing they got together was the date for Easter. Now, Easter, as I say, had been celebrated at different times with with by different factions, sections, different areas within the Christian world and the Roman Empire. Um, and they relied uh, slightly on the Jewish calendar, which was based on the lunar calendar. But people were using different dates for that. And that wasn't uniform either. Um, and they wanted to come back to relate to the spring equinox, the vernal equinox, as the most reliable standpoint. And that was their sort of decree at the, the um, Council of Nicaea. And, and in, in the main, when they got together to discuss these i guess there were some other things to discuss too but they um they wanted to create this christian faith that could unite across all the doctrines and there were three there was a threefold structure in their nicaea the the creed of nicaea or the nicene creed and you probably might have heard it if you've ever gone to church when they say we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And it's like a, a statement that you make in church at, at sort of sacred times, at Holy Communion to say, this is what I believe. This is who I am as a Christian. This is how I stand up. Um, and now we've kind of uh, reproduced that and it's now called the Apostles Creed, which is a little bit clearer because the um, the Nicene Creed kind of starts off really good and then kind of gets into sort of if he was not here before he was here kind of discussion about when you know Jesus being a man on earth before he was and so the language isn't as clear but the Apostles Creed is that statement it's quite a beautiful statement that you would make as a Christian to say this is this is my belief so there's three kind of fold structure of it is the belief in God as a creator of all things all things visible all things invisible understanding that he is your creative source and number two is belief in Jesus as the son of God and how he was begotten as of a virgin birth, your belief in that idea of the divine birth and how then also he was, he suffered as a man and died then to, for our sins and made a huge sacrifice for humanity and how he died and he rose again on the third day. That's the second one, the sort of the Jesus story really. And then the third part of this is about the Holy Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of our sins with, with the Holy Spirit and the saints, the canonon, canonical kind of idea of living people living here, helping us saint, doing saintly um, activities and events and things that happened on earth. Because then again, after this, we have life everlasting. So those are the three things of this creed that now I think is clear in the Apostles' Creed, both the Catholic and the, and the Protestant both say this. And, and I do think it's quite, you know, there they were coming together in, what was that, three, 300, year 325 to get the key points of the church. to So there was no division in the ch Christian church so that all doctrine would be kind of 
brought down to core tenants. And yet here we are having gone through, you know, 2000, nearly 2000 years later and the amount of wars and destruction, the kind of dogma that, that has been caused about these beliefs of what you believe in, you know, these ideas have come. So really, I think they had a really good purpose and maybe we should have had that they should have met every 300 years to really keep this core belief together. So at least it was an effort for unification and the commonality. And so the other big thing they were discussing was this uh, Julian calendar and the the exact dating of Easter. How would they go about dating Easter? And going on from from this the Julian calendar, which then continued because they had, didn't really know how to change it. You know, we get to this this scholar and the monk in the eighth century um, in in England, and he knew then that the calendar was out. He said in the eighth century, in in eight hundred year eight hundred. So only five hundred years later, he was saying this calendar is out by at least three days. How on earth did he know this? But, you know, they didn't have TV to distract them. They didn't have entertainment coming at them to distract them from all kinds of important things that we do now. So then it carried on. Roger Bacon, also, you know, advisor and real kind of deep scholar of real wisdom um, and possibly, possibly one of the incarnations of St. Germain. So Roger Bacon in in 1200 said, we're now eight or nine days out from this calendar, the Julian calendar, from what is the actual year. And remember, you know, when the tropical astrology, we do follow the actual year. We don't take it away, such as the Vedic. So if we'd have gone away, the Vedic, we'd still be with the Vedic and the dates wouldn't would have changed anyway. Um, then in Dante also, he was writing about this. He he was aware and was proposing uh, the need for calendar reform in 1300. But it wasn't then until Pope Sixtus IV in 1475, he, he invited some um, eminent scholars, mathematicians to come and work this out. And one of them was called Reggio Montanus. I quite like that. Some Reggio Montanus, he arrived at the Vatican to work on this kind of mathematical calendar debate. And he he kind of died as soon as he got there. <laughs> so that was kind of there was a impetus to, for it to happen. But it was kind of, you know, met with problems along the way. But by this time, but as we're going into the 16th century, the, the matter was kind of becoming more widely understood. And of course, at that time, the, the observation of our astronomical world was, you know, with the longitude, latitudes becoming far more exact. And people had precision about these ideas of measurement of the world. There was real accuracy starting to happen. So people really could get to grips with the idea that our year wasn't an exact um, 365 days. So this was becoming more prevalent that they the need to change by this point. And so 
um, it then came to, after various, various attempts by popes, and it was coming from the Catholic Church, of course, because it was the church calendar that was needed kind of stability and needed to be um, um, connected to the vernal equinox. So it was in the 16th century when Pope Gregory XIII took up the challenge. So Pope Gregory was ultimately successful. So that's why it's called the Gregorian calendar that we use today. There was actually a hundred years difference for when Pope Sixtus in 1475 kind of got this together and said, right, this is going to happen. And a hundred years later, in 1582, in the 16th century, when Pope Gregory XIII said, right, here we go, I'm going to appoint various mathematicians to make this work. And by that time, they'd added another couple of days onto how out of the cal- how out the calendar was. So Pope Gregory got various guys, people onto this, notably a German kind of genius mathematician, Christopher Clavius. And he's kind of been kind of given the title the the architect of the Gregorian calendar, but but really he draws on so many other theories that have been proposed and worked on, you know, in the years, in the hundred years or so leading up to this point where we introduce the Gregorian calendar. And yeah, so it's 10 days out. So the the vernal equinox was happening on the 10th or 11th of March instead of the sort of fixed day of the 21st of March, which is where we fix also the Aries um, start of the astrological year. And so they were way out and they were ready for change. And uh, Christopher Clavius had actually written an 800-page document. I mean, what a book. I'd hate to have had to re- read that. 800-page document on the theory on why we and why and how we should pick up this calendar, which, as we now know it, is the Gregorian calendar that we use today. And the first kind of job that Christopher Clavius had to do was to actually lose the 10 days, like where we're going to shove 10 days, that we'd had accrued in in the centuries since Nicaea, since the, um, you know, the, the, the meeting in, was it 352 um, AD, you know, that we had to, what was that year? Let me just check. Yeah, we had to lose those 10 days that had accrued since the uh, Council of Nicaea. And it wasn't 352, it was 325. So they had to lose these 10 days and there was a debate whether they would do it um, every 10 years, they'd lose a day over the next, you know, every four years over the next 40 years or, or just get rid of them all in one go, which was the end, what, what they ended up doing. Um so the first one, the first one was let's let's get back to when Easter is and the vernal equinox on the twenty first of March, which is now ten days out. So we have to lose ten days, and then the idea then was the first rule of this is obviously that every four years we have a leap year, but then to add on to this, so that was the, just the Julian calendar. To add on the idea then to keep us in balance that every all the years divisible by a hundred. Uh, would only be leap years if they were divisible by 400 as well. That's quite quite complicated. So that's every year divisible by four is a leap year, except for years divisible by 100. But then these years are leap years if they are divisible by 400. 
So, for instance, 1700, 1800 and 1900 were not leap years. 1600 was, and the year 2000 was a leap year. And this means that no one alive today will experience that uh, a missing leap year. And the Gregorian calendar was, the, the last day, I should say, of the Julian calendar was Thursday, the 4th of October, 80, uh, 1582. And the next day was still Friday, so they didn't change the days of the week, but then it became Friday, the 15th of October, 1582. So therefore we gained, that was that's, um, 11 days that we completely just you know, lost from our calendar. So the Gregorian calendar doesn't start till 15th of October, 1582. And the problem with, was, with that was that, you know, that that was a, an edict that went out through the Roman Empire, but not everyone got the memo at the same time. So there's these kind of calendar of dates of people picking up or countries picking up the Gregorian calendar. You know, the French didn't even pick it up till um, December of that year because this is the Holy Roman Empire. And it's seen as a quite a Catholic thing. So the British didn't pick it up for a long time, feeling that they didn't want to sort of say, yes they knew it had to happen so they created their own version which was in line but didn't mention some of the more <laughs> uh, didn't mention the pope actually didn't mention that it was anything to do with the pope um but they 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 only took it up into the 1800s and that that's mad you know that that, that we had we well, we still to this day have countries using different different parts of the world, but the whole Western world now. Um, and it's strange to see that Saudi Arabia only adopted the Gregorian calendar in 2016. That's you know less than 10 years ago that Saudi Arabia picked up this calendar. I think that's a phenomenal um, um, piece of information. So you can see the amount of trouble that has gone in to keeping us on track so that we have sense of what a year is, what the seasons are in the year and how we go through these processes again and again, almost like there's a cycle to this, a cycle that we must respect here on Earth. And that's very much how the tropical calendar, the tropical astrology works in that we're respecting the idea that this is where we've started. And although we're on a journey, a 260,000 year journey here on earth, we're going to come back to this point. We're not coming off and going off and, and sort of going off somewhere never to return. This is an enclosed space, an enclosed circle that we come back to. So the idea then that we keep the idea that at Stonehenge, the light or Newgrange or wherever it is in the world, that these ancient monuments are going to have the same day every year with the light hitting or coming through various parts of, of the architecture on the exact time every year so that we understand where we are. So it's very much connected to our evolution, the evolution of the whole planet Earth going round and where it comes back to. And so it's like this, um, you know, energy moves in cycles, in spirals, in circles, you know, that we are moving in this spiral and our evolution is going with it. So tropical astrology can be said to um, be more related to the psychological, spiritual um, idea of what you're going through on earth so that people will talk to you about 
think this is going to be hard or you're going to feel uh, various points of this and this is this is challenging and those ideas are very much about the the process that you are growing through whereas a tropical sometimes talks very much about the physical you you know you're you're going to leave your job on this day kind of thing so you know they both i think have their uses um and it's quite hard to just study both but um and that's why i like to study tropical because i also think it fits in to um what, what what's happening on earth right now it also fits in and if you follow me i've been doing a lot of the idea of how the um biblical year fits into the astrological calendar and how many of the christ codes are embedded into or the, the narrative of christ and his journey and are embedded into the astrological signs or the astrological signs embedded into say the 12 days of christmas the 12 holy nights that we were talking about recently and i'll pick this up again with the last 24 hours of of christ at easter being relevant to the 12 astrological signs so that's why i stick with with this because we're talking about a vernal year and a process that we all go through and recognize here on earth so now we have this leap year 29th of february thursday 29th of february 2024 and well you know i'd like to know how, how why are we not celebrating this why are we not having a little bit more of a celebration around this um it is happening in pisces and is is that on purpose pisces you know maybe that's where we dissolve into new structures or dissolve the current structures maybe that's where we can easily fit something in you know something because pisces will allow it but I still think we should be celebrating this extra day and I don't think anyone should be working for sure. Um, but of course, you know, I want to know what, if you have any um, traditions around leap year or you've done something special like propose to someone. Because of course the tradition is that the ladies can now propose or the ladies can now ask a guy out. Um, and we've been doing that for years. So um, it's not, not a big a thing as it once was. Um, so yeah, let me know your traditions for this, for the for any leap year, and let's see if we can all take some more up because it's. I think we need to celebrate. Always celebrate the small wins. So with with our leap year happening next week, I wanted to think about also this North Node. The North Node with Chiron was exact on the nineteenth of February, but it's still alive all month long. And I've, I've so I've been doing a little deep dive. I went to see the film Nyad, which is about Diana Nyad, who had such utter determination that you just wouldn't believe to swim from um, Havana in Cuba to the West Keys in Florida, which is over 100 miles and over two days of swimming. Can you imagine through shark infested, box jellyfish infested water? And it's an incredible film to watch of, you know, real the tenacity that it took. And I was thinking, what sort of a person I must look at her birth chart? What sort of determination six times I think it was the fifth or sixth go that she did it what was it that could made someone you know what must be in their chart to have that much strength and not taking no for answer because she did this when she was 64 and it's incredible 
So the first thing you notice about Diana Nyad is that she has her moon conjunct Pluto. I mean, anyone with with Pluto conjunct something, you know, there is an utter real strength there, an inner strength, an inner determination that comes through that is could be quite obsessive. And in this case, it is obsessive. Now, this moon conjunct Pluto in, in Leo is right up on her MC, you know, where you the highest things that you can achieve in life are kind of thing up there on that MC. And here she is with Pluto up there and the moon up there. And I kind of feel like she was taken off course by other ideas because she tried it when she was, you know, in her twenties or in her teens. So it was, yeah, it was a bit in her twenties. So she hadn't tried for 30 years when she started again in her sixties. So so I feel like that, that you know, whatever she suffered, there was some sexual abuse by the coach who's still in the American Hall of Fame, which is a bit annoying. But anyway, he must have taken her off her course because that kind of determination, you know, she did. she's done several sporting feats. But to do this one, no one has ever done it. And I don't think anyone has tried since. And there's someone who tried at the same time was like, no way, I'm not going to try that again. That's like, terrible it's really hard to do because the currents it's the um the currents take you off you have to go at the exact time you know if you don't meet a flock of of um of jellyfish stinging that could kill you and apparently the more that if you know it's not like a you build up resistance as it says in the film you know like a snake bike or something i don't know if that's the right analogy that if you have um you don't build resistance like a virus or a bacteria you know if if you get stung by a jellyfish again it kind of just adds on to what happened before and so on her last try they were going if it kills you if it touches you if, it, if you touch a jellyfish and she was completely wrapped up in them before if you get stung by this jellyfish you're going to die anyway so what determination that's that moon conjunct um pluto up up there on the mc up there on i've got to get this this is what i've got to achieve and once that's been lit up once that must have been lit up at the point you know there's utter determination also she has her son at 29 degrees leo and it's not so much the leo which will want the acclaim and you know she you know the the would need she needed the status she needed to achieve something it was the fact that it's in the 10th house then and the 10th house is where your goals are where you want to achieve things and on the 29th degree we know that is uh, the anoretic degree the degree where it's like this is your last chance it's going to bring about a crisis for you that you really have this determination to go and get something done so I thought that was so incredible for her chart to go yeah look there it is there is that determination for everyone to see and then the other thing I noticed for Diana Nyad is that her north node she is at at sort of 17, 19 degrees of Aries. I'm saying that because it's the true node and the mean node. So let's say in this chart I'm looking at, it's 17 degrees. And of course, the north node, she's having a nodal return. The north node is meeting up with Chiron right now. So she's presumably reliving a lot of those pains, understanding what she's achieved again, because the film has just, well, it came out before, but in the UK, it's kind of having a run again. Um, and I really thought Annette Benning should be up for some kind of Oscar or some recognition here, more so than some other actresses that have um, 
you know, got accolades there. I mean, there's some really amazing actresses, actually, but I really do think she should have been up there for what she's, her portraying Diane and uh, Nyad, and I do recommend you go and see it. You know, it's it's um, it's not like this amazing film that you won't get over, but it's just an amazing um, thing to see this person's, this person's, um, determination and actually how she goes about and does it in the end and uh, it's an interesting story so anyway so yeah that's the idea that she's her film of her life is coming out which as she has a nodal return and it's like Chiron is there there's real salvation in that there's there is the redemption and everything in that Chiron that she has been you know she's done her life's purpose kind of thing with that nodal return with Chiron. So I thought to seeing that in someone's chart was a phenomenal thing. So I kind of looked at a few other people. Who else was in the, um, who else was having kind of sort of either nodal returns or something going on this week? So I had a quick look at Tucker Carlson. And lo and behold, he has his Aries MC. So the North Node Chiron conjunction is happening right up on Tucker Carlson's MC in his 10th house of achievements as well. So this is big for him. Now, his MC is Aries, uh, but it's at nine degrees. But right to the left of there, there is Venus at 15 degrees of um Aries. So that conjunction is happening there. So his values that he's put himself forward, so these are my values, this is what who I am, are really, you know, that Aries ego hit there with, with Venus in Aries going, this is this, I need to bring my values to this. And this is what this is all about. This isn't about just me and, and, um, wanting to be famous I mean, this is this is me putting something out there that I've created that means a lot to me that's coming from my heart so I thought that was quite wild to see that this conjunction the north node Chiron conjunction is happening to Tucker also he's about to have or just had his Chiron return because he has Chiron in early Aries on the other side so again this is happening to him he's got waking up some sort of deep sensitivity and idea of what should be happening out in the world and where he should be going with this now eventually when the north node as it will do not in about six months, move into Pisces, Tucker will then have his nodal return because his north node is at the end of Pisces, right next to Aries. So he too is kind of having a moment and will be having a moment. And that north node coming round to his own north node is really going to give him years more of work of uh, which sort of is like woken up the Aries ego in him. And I mean that in his... Uh, his idea of what he's here for, his mission here on earth, his personal mission for then to really sort of calibrate and go, right, I'm on, I'm on a roll now. This is going to last for quite some time. And then moving on from Tucker Carlson's chart, I had to look at President Putin's chart as well. And he's a Libra, <laughs> a controlling Libra. You know how that idea that you want it so perfect, so you've got to do it yourself and you won't let anyone else have anything to, to do with it. You are controlling and manipulative. That's that's kind of the dynamic, hardcore Libra principle here with that Putin sort of demonstrates admirably. And of course, you know, there is that that 
that Libra Sun is directly opposite the North Node. It's on the his Libra Sun is on the South Node now, and therefore things are coming out for him too. With the North Node con um, uh, Chiron conjunction happening opposite this, but what made me interested as well that he also has a Leo MC, uh, just like Diana Nyad. And I was looking at that going, wow, you know, there's there's that kind of prominence, almost royalty that he's going up there to achieve. And what's interesting is that his south node, his south node is way up there on the MC and his north node is in Aquarius down by his IC, which is the roots. And having a north node facing down into your roots is, I've really got to deep and do this for those people. I'm here to, um, and, you know, having a south node in in uh, in Leo would denote past lives of of exalted lives where you've either been in an exalted position such as royalty or celebrity or you've been you know you've he's done this before you don't get to be I've said this about other royals actually you don't get to be a royal princess or marry a prince or unless you've kind of done something like this before. You know, you've had lifetimes doing it before. And Putin obviously has had lifetimes in these exalted places. But the North Node going into his Aquarius, you know, he's doing this. He has to learn about fairness and the people and doing things for, for actually people, for communities, for humanity. And yet it goes right into his IC and into his ancestor. So he is doing it literally for his people. It's like a there's definite karma working out there. So I thought there was a kind of interesting dynamic there on the firstly on the North Node Chiron conjunction happening opposite his sun, and it's exactly where the eclipses are happening because it's obviously Libra, Aries axis, but also the idea same as Diana Naya that Leo MC, but it's got his South Node up there. So you know this is past life stuff for him, past life stuff carrying out. So having looked at Putin's chart, I then looked at Julian Assange and he's got the exact same thing as Putin. He also has, um, he's got his IC in Aquarius, just like Putin, uh, and he's got his North Node in Aquarius. So his North Node and it's next to Mars. So that's even more powerful. Julian is doing this for the people. Julian's North Node in Aquarius, you know, this is going into Aquarius is in his eye seal in, in, in ancient stuff. This is what he's made up of. You know, he's doing this for the people that he comes from almost, just like Putin in a way, but even more so because the Mars is there going, I have to do this with utter determination. I have to dig deep and, and pick up that sword. And therefore then, his south node is also in Royal Leo, but it's up there on the MC. So both of these characters are going to have a certain amount of, of notoriety, but they've been there before. And I think with Julian, it's almost like he's been there before and kind of gone, this can't happen again. Uh, or he had destroyed the opportunity last time and this time he's got to do it and almost sacrifice himself to the cause because in this lifetime he has to get it right because of that sword is there, the sword of Mars. For Julian, however, the North Node Chiron conjunction isn't as prominent. However, the eclipse on the, the, the um, full moon eclipse, the lunar eclipse on the 25th of March is happening on his Uranus in Libra. So that's going to bring about some kind of um, freedom, perhaps. 
I think there's freedom coming out here. And also, and he's actually obviously having his Mars return, and that's going to be a phenomenal change, Mars return. That could be a break for freedom too. And then on the 8th of April, his um, the eclipse at 19 degrees Aries, the solar eclipse, is going to be directly trying to his 19 degrees Leo MC. So again, you know, there's powerful shifts here for him. And I'm really hoping that does mean freedom. It looks like it to me, uh, if not a major shift from Belmarsh prison. Hmm. Um, but yes, he's a freedom fighter and born to do that. This is his karma to do this. And there may be some sacrifice. Well, there's definitely sacrifice involved. Anyway, I thought that was a nice little rabbit hole. I went down from um, looking at someone as determined as Diana Nyad and her chart and how it then it even pertains to Putin, to Julian Assange and Tucker. So um, I hope you found that interesting too. So thank you for listening. Please do give me a follow if you haven't already. And uh, more astrological insights and details coming up in the next few weeks as well. So uh, thank you for listening and God bless to you all.